Hi, I'm Lone Candle. I just wanted to know how competitive nuclear power is, but it spiraled out of control into research on the entire energy sector. Nuclear energy, good idea or bad idea? Eh, probably a good idea to limit an over-reliance on intermittent wind and solar and energy storage, like batteries, which may or may not pan out to be good enough. But it ultimately depends on which technologies have the most positive breakthroughs and how much you trust which industry or technology to avoid fatal mistakes. First, let's discuss the straight prices. There are two types of nuclear plants ones that don't exist yet, and those that do. The biggest cost of nuclear is planning and building the damn thing. So, if we're talking about extending the life of an already working nuclear plant, that is much cheaper than building a new one, because at this point, the building costs are already spent. As far as measuring the total cost of electricity that takes into account the cost to build and operate a facility, there is the Levelized Cost of Electricity, LCOE. It takes the total cost divided by the amount of electricity dispatched during the plant's lifetime. There are other measures as well, but all the fairly complete measures have the same result. Nuclear is more expensive than coal, gas, solar, and wind. The LCOE for a new nuclear plant in the U.S is about $151 compared to $43 for onshore wind and $41 for utility solar. LCOE often doesn't include the length of time nuclear plants actually take to build, as they almost always take longer than estimated. Neither does it include cost of the rare but very costly nuclear meltdowns, nor the cost of storing nuclear waste for hundreds of thousands of years. In the U.S., $500 million are spent a year protecting nuclear waste, and this spending must continue for as long as the waste is dangerous. Studies have performed simulations confirming that nuclear is not a good investment due to the towering expenses. It's just too hard to make back one's money when there are cheaper alternatives. So nuclear is definitely more expensive than renewables, but is competitive with fossil fuels if carbon is priced. This is because while some carbon is created while building the plant, nuclear's production of energy produces almost no carbon. It isn't like coal or gas pumping global warming materials into the sky. Nuclear plants simply heat water through fission, and this produces steam that moves a turbine. As far as global warming goes, nuclear is climate change friendly. Nuclear plants take 7 to over 30 years to become operational. That's a long freaking time. They regularly cost more than expected and have building delays. This is not a reliable way to make money selling electricity. South Carolina companies canceled two reactors in 2019 after spending $9 billion, causing the company, Westinghouse, to go bankrupt. Two other reactors in Georgia keep being delayed. Nuclear defenders like to blame regulations, but unlike other energy sources, one accident can ruin land for generations and potentially sicken or kill many with radiation. 
Most complaints about regulations are vague and rarely explain which ones need to be done away with and why, and how this will make nuclear significantly cheaper. Because of the inherent dangers with nuclear fission, many of these regulations make sense, so the cost to deal with them might be appropriate to the technology. One area where the U.S. can improve is in the time it takes to get license approval. Plants shouldn't have to close down because it takes years to get a license extension. And American companies shouldn't be getting approval in Canada because Canadian licenses are quicker to get. Another regulatory issue is regulators adding new requirements after construction has begun. This adds to costs and needs to stop unless the changes are crucial. Harmonizing international regulation would also lower costs. Generally, regulations should be streamlined and focused on major threats to human safety and the environment. Despite the legitimate need for regulation reform, we can't blame regulations for nuclear's high prices. Something as dangerous as nuclear should be regulated, and those regulations will be costly. So in a straight price comparison with even more carbon-friendly renewables, Nuclear loses big time. Can we dismiss nuclear and wipe our hands clean of this discussion? Unfortunately, no, because supplying consistent power over the days, weeks, and years can't be done by solar and wind. If solar and wind produce sufficient power over time, no matter the weather or time of day, then we could simply compare the total lifetime cost per energy produced and see which is most cost-effective. But unfortunately, wind and solar need partners to keep the lights on. The sun isn't available at night. Wind often slows at the same time solar power isn't available. And wind can go through stretches with very little output. This means solar and wind must work with a team. They need team members that perform different roles in producing power. There are three positions, with the third maybe being optional. First, there is the cheap and very low carbon intermittent position. This is wind and solar. When you take into account their benefits of limiting climate change, they are super cheap, but can't always be counted on due to weather and nighttime. Second, there is flexible power. This is power that can be ramped up and down to meet the falling supply of intermittent power. Gas is the prime ramper in the U.S. Some current and most to all new, nuclear plants can ramp up and down also, but not as quickly as gas. Thus, if the drop in electricity is predictable, nuclear can play this role. But if it is fast and not foreseen, nuclear just ramps too slow. Batteries and other types of energy storage can also play this flexible role. They store excess energy when wind and solar are hot, and then release it when they are cold. Additionally, hydro can play the flexible role, but not all places have a lot of good hydro locations. It's possible to have only intermittent and flexible sources without any baseload. The third type of energy is baseload. This is energy that is consistent over time, rain, wind, or shine. Nuclear is great for this. We could have a team of only intermittent and flexible players, but the more baseload one has, the less intermittency the system has to deal with. The ups and downs will be smaller if a smaller percentage of electricity comes from intermittent sources. This should make power more reliable, 
produce less reliance on carbon-producing flexible players like natural gas, and require less upgrades to the electrical grid and less extensive transmission lines. More of both are required when we have more intermittency. Also, without baseload, we need additional buildup of wind and solar so that there is enough overflow to store and use later, both later that day, but also seasonally, and for long spells of high demand, low sun, or slash sand, low wind. There are different combinations of the three team members that can work, and the best combination will depend on geography, infrastructure, and future technological advances. So yes, solar and wind are cheaper than nuclear, but solar and wind cannot do it alone. Thus, being cheaper isn't enough to reject nuclear. The real question is, does the cost and qualities of nuclear make it one of the best options for a team that involves intermittent renewables. There are a lot of potential energy sources, but I will focus on three big ones, nuclear, natural gas with carbon capture and sequestration, and energy storage. For the purpose of this piece, I'm using carbon capture and storage and carbon capture and sequestration interchangeably, even though in some contexts they mean different things. Carbon capture traps the carbon coming out of power plants so that it can't go into the air. It works by utilizing the fact that CO2 sticks to certain chemicals. These chemicals pull it out of the smokestack, then the CO2 can be parted from it and compressed. The CO2 can then be stored forever or sold to be used. Of course, if using it releases it into the air, then the carbon released into the atmosphere was not reduced. A problem with selling CO2 is CO2 sucked from the air has to compete with CO2 taken from the ground and CO2 produced as a byproduct of chemical manufacturing. The difficulty is concentrating CO2 molecules together to capture and use them. This requires a lot of energy and is therefore expensive. CO2 can also be captured directly from the air. That's pretty amazing. But machines that pull CO2 directly out of the air are even more expensive to operate due to lower CO2 concentration in the air compared to coming out of a power plant. And such plants require tons of power to operate. So you'd have to produce CO2 just to capture CO2. And that lowers the net CO2 taken from the air. Unless you used a low carbon energy source. But that still costs a lot. Unfortunately, Capturing CO2 from natural gas is also expensive and requires a lot of energy. The highest goal of carbon capture is to capture 90% of carbon emissions. However, there are the upstream emissions of natural gas mining, transport, processing, and that carbon capture equipment needs 25 to 50% additional energy. So over a 20 to 100 year period, that 90% reduction may really be 10 to 30%. If low-carbon sources power the carbon capture, then this carbon capture is more climate-friendly, but still requires the expense of this extra power. Carbon capture depends on the carbon being stored forever. It can be pumped underground, but this could leak through fractured rock or porous soil. Also, if there isn't fractured rock from the beginning, an earthquake could fracture it and release the CO2. I fear CO2 leakage could be very high. The natural gas companies won't always make money from storing CO2. It will be an additional thing they have to do due to an environmental regulation or a carbon tax. They may not always store CO2 diligently, 
and may purposely or negligently release CO2 by not capturing or storing it properly. They may be unaware this happened, or we may have massive amounts of CO2 leaked into the atmosphere that is covered up by fraud. Unlike nuclear waste that's harder to cover up when radiation is detected in places it isn't supposed to be, CO2 from natural gas will disperse into the atmosphere. I fear massive fraud and mistakes that will lead to far higher CO2 from natural gas with capture and storage than the estimates we soon will discuss calculate. The total 100-year CO2 emissions is the most inclusive emissions number I've found. It includes more factors than life cycle emissions, including opportunity costs, heat, water vapor, nuclear weapons risk, carbon storage leakage, land use, and vegetation clearing. Nuclear's variation in the number depends on assumptions about fuel production, dismantling, and waste disposal. The extraction, preparation, and enrichment of fuel are also important. Nuclear's 100-year CO2 emissions are from 78 to 178. This compares to wind at 4.8 to 14.8, solar at 0.8 to 26.9, and natural gas with capture producing 230 to 481 grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour. These are all low compared to natural gas without capture, which produces 500 to 676 grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour. Based on these estimates, Nuclear is much better for fighting climate change than natural gas with carbon capture and storage, but renewables are considerably better than nuclear. However, I don't think these estimates include the carbon produced from the creation, maintaining, and decommissioning of energy storage required by more intermittent renewables, as well as the carbon cost of the extra grid upgrades. Either way, from a pure emission standpoint, nuclear has the edge over natural gas with carbon capture and storage. How about deaths? All energy sources get people killed at some time. We all know nuclear can produce cancer deaths if there is a meltdown, but industrial accidents, mining dangers, and air pollution are also deadly. Global averages of mortality rate per billion kilowatt hours are 100 for coal, 36 for oil, 24 for biofuel and biomass, 4 for natural gas, 1.4 for hydro, 0.44 for solar, 0.15 for wind, and 0.04 for nuclear. So while nuclear gets the headlines for being dangerous, it actually kills less people than other energy sources. Natural gas with carbon capture not only produces more emissions than nuclear, it kills more people. And carbon capture actually makes natural gas more deadly. That is, unless the energy used to power the carbon capture is clean. While carbon capture limits CO2, it does not capture other air pollutants. And because more energy is needed to run a plant with capture, if this extra energy comes from gas, that's even more air pollution. Air pollution from natural gas may cause from 3,000 to 10,000 premature deaths a year in the United States. The 2011 Fukushima meltdown in Japan may end up killing 15 to 2,500 people from cancer and 1,232 to 2,259 as a result of the evacuation. This is 1,247 to 4,759 deaths as a result of one of the most deadly nuclear power accidents in history. 
That's horrible. But is less than natural gas kills every year in just the United States due to air pollution. Don't let fear of the big and scary, but rare, nuclear accidents result in far more deaths from the silent killer that is fossil fuel air pollution. So, nuclear produces less emissions than carbon capture and storage. It kills less people due to not producing air pollution and is cost competitive when carbon is properly priced. I'd say nuclear is the better option compared to natural gas with carbon capture and therefore should be more heavily focused on. I wouldn't give up on carbon capture. Both in capturing carbon from the gas and from the air, it's possible that technological breakthroughs will make this more viable. It's not clear if this will ever happen, but we guarantee it won't happen if we give up completely. Also, gas that ramps quickly may also be needed and carbon capture would reduce the emissions from this. But, I'd build out more nuclear than I would invest in expanding gas with carbon capture. One issue with nuclear is the grade of the uranium ore. The worse the ore grade, the more CO2 is emitted to get the same amount of energy. The problem is, the best ore grade is the easiest to mine. If no new high-grade ore is found, the grade of ore used in nuclear fission will get worse meaning nuclear will produce more CO2. At a certain point, nuclear will be worse for CO2 emissions than fossil fuels. If we don't find new high-grade ore, this downside will happen within the lifetime of new nuclear plants. Worse, if the grade is low enough, it uses more energy to produce nuclear power than the power gained from the nuclear fission. Advanced reactors may be able to overcome this problem, However, A, such reactors will come too late to limit climate change by 2050. B, these reactors may not work nearly as well as the nuclear industry hopes. Maybe more high-grade ore will be found, but if not, a shortage of quality uranium could weaken both the economic and CO2 efficiencies of nuclear. The ore issue doesn't change my opinion on carbon capture and storage. More ore may be found, and even if it isn't, we are talking 60, 100 plus years down the line. If we run out of good ore, that gas will still be in the ground and be ready to use if we don't have a better alternative by then. Nuclear energy is proven. We know its faults, but we also know its virtues. It's incredibly reliable, it's almost always safe, but one major incident can have huge damages. It's the largest source of low-carbon electricity in the United States, with about 99 reactors and 60 plants producing 20% of the country's power. Gen 4 reactors may be even safer due to passive cooling systems that don't rely on external power to cool a reactor. The core and cooling systems are not pressurized, and they use non-water liquids to prevent hydrogen from forming. Hydrogen can explode, as it did at Fukushima. So that's a good improvement. New reactors also may use uranium more efficiently. The problem with Gen 4 is they may be too late. If new nuclear plants are going to play a role in limiting global warming, we need them now. Because they will take 10 or maybe many more years to build, we really have to start building them now and don't have time for one-off prototypes. For many advanced designs, they just won't be ready to be producing power before 2050, 
which is way too late. One idea is to build smaller reactors called Small Modular Reactors, or SMRs. These cost less up front, but are less efficient at producing power. The industry hopes their small size means they will have more customers. If they can be produced at scale, this will reduce the upfront costs of building them and make nuclear more cost effective. One reason nuclear plants are so expensive is because they are built so infrequently that the expertise, knowledge, equipment, and pieces used in construction are not readily available. If SMRs are built regularly, this will solve that problem. SMRs also may be safer due to lower heat and plan to use the more simple and passive safety improvements like the ones mentioned earlier. Again, we need new nuclear now and SMRs may be too late to limit climate change. SMRs, as well as other new reactors, may be able to do two things at once to produce extra income. For example, reactors can produce hydrogen, desalinate water, or sell their heat. SMRs could need less people to run them. A smaller control room could monitor all of the reactors in a plant because they are more simple and more safe. Mass-producing small reactors will only work if there are enough buyers, and it's questionable whether enough places around the world will want nuclear reactors. Thus far, companies have met with failure. Westinghouse abandoned an SMR design after working on it for a decade. Transatomic Power gave up on one in 2018, and Bobcock and Wilcox went under in 2017. Russia has kept its state-funded SMR going, but the cost of construction were over four times the estimates, and the energy will cost four times more than current U.S. nuclear. In 2020, the company NewScale got approved for a SMR prototype. There isn't obviously a new generation of nuclear that will make it super more efficient and cost effective, but this is okay because old nuclear works. With it, we know what we got, and it may still be better than the alternatives in playing a base load or slow flexible role. The time it takes to build any nuclear plant is a problem. Nuclear only produces low carbon energy once the plants are complete. Because seven years is a fast completion, and well over a decade is a real possibility, that's many years of using carbon sources while we are waiting for the nuclear plant to come online. Renewable energy is installed much more quickly. If we compare the building of a nuclear plant in a wind or solar farm, the time after the wind or solar farm is complete, but before the nuclear plant is finished, previous dirty fuels are still used in the nuclear case, while in the wind and solar case we have clean energy. This increases the total carbon put into the air when one chooses nuclear over wind and solar, and increases the amount of regular pollutants as well as the deaths resulting from such pollution. These are the opportunity costs of nuclear. Nuclear meltdowns are rare and as discussed earlier, actually kill far less people than fossil fuels as a result of air pollution, and result in less deaths than wind and solar. Both solar and wind need massive farms to get a decent amount of energy. This requires a lot of construction and materials. Both construction and the mining of materials have hazards that result in deaths. Nuclear does have the problem of nuclear waste. This waste is radioactive and must be stored for thousands of years. However, this is manageable. 
the biggest waste issue is that no one will take it, so most is stored above ground on site of nuclear plants. Waste also poses the threat of leakage, which can damage water supply and hurt crops, animals, and humans. Nuclear plants do pose a nuclear proliferation risk, but this is mitigated by that commercial nuclear power reactors aren't great for making nuclear weapons because a nuclear plant wants to be as efficient as possible. And it's better to have a high burn-up of fuel, meaning many of the atoms undergo fission. This results in less fuel being useful for creating a weapon. It is still dangerous, though, but the best weapons-grade material is created by a lower burn-up rate. Reactors specifically designed to do this are used for such material. Both waste and proliferation have been managed for decades, and I don't see why we can't continue to mostly successfully manage these issues with nuclear. Nuclear has its problems, but it's not clear that the cleanest partner to intermittent renewables will be up to the task. That is energy storage and regional energy storing. Energy storage is a huge crux for 100% renewable energy. The technology just isn't that good, and therefore the costs are way too high. Storage isn't just about having enough to cover the night, or even just the less windy and sunny seasons, but the rare times when solar and wind output is low for extended periods of time. These happen often enough that a great amount of extra storage is needed so communities can maintain electricity through these periods. The amount of storage can be reduced greatly if nuclear power takes a significant share of the load. If we accept that during the lowest solar and wind times, storage will not come to the rescue, the price of storage is much closer to being viable. However, this means other technology has to be available idle for years at a time, ready to come in and provide energy. Or we have to hope that neighboring regions have the extra power to spare. If we use gas as this rarely used backup, it will mess with the economics of gas and gas will likely need subsidies. The electrical grid doesn't just magically take different types of energy. When we have intermittent energy like wind and solar, we need a grid that can handle overflows of electricity while it's windy and sunny. These overflows and underflows are not always predictable. Grids have to constantly balance the supply and demand of electricity. And the more intermittent renewables we rely on, the more grid upgrades are needed. Greater reliance on nuclear or carbon capture and storage reduces this. Additionally, necessitating the ramping up and down of other sources is an added cost, as these sources will be more cost-effective without ramping. There may be upward pressure on the costs of building new solar and wind, making nuclear look better by comparison. The best wind and solar locations may already be used. Worst locations result in new solar and wind being less energy efficient, and possibly longer transmission lines, which incur a cost. Capital costs may go up as expected return goes down due to less efficient wind and solar locations. Finally, a Chinese glut in manufacturing solar panels could end making solar farms more expensive. 100% renewable energy is technically feasible. The question is, how high the costs will get at high penetrations of renewable energy compared to having less renewables and relying more on other power sources? Scholars have a variety of computer simulations. These simulations must make assumptions about an assortment of factors, 
and these assumptions can change outcomes. Some simulations show that using 100% renewable energy for the entire world is doable. Many others show that the higher the percentage of renewable energy, the more grid upgrades, transition lines bringing energy from other geographies, and massive storage the system will need. The expenses of these requirements are not equivalent to reliable firm energy sources. Without non-renewable but low carbon energy like nuclear, electricity becomes considerably more expensive. This price difference increases as a higher percentage of energy comes from renewable sources. By shooting for all renewable energy, one would risk screwing oneself with high prices if renewables and energy storage didn't pan out to be as cheap as hoped. Simulations show this to be an especially risky strategy in geographies with less renewable energy potential. We may need three to eight times peak demand in energy if we only use renewables, mainly to have the energy for multiple days of low wind and sun. This means a lot of wind, solar, and energy storage, and is one reason why very high renewable penetration is expensive. If we offset some of that with other forms of electricity, the costs go down considerably. The simulations also find that the best energy mix depends on where the technological breakthroughs lie. So it's best to invest in diversity now so the best source will be available in the future. Some simulations show that even if the levelized cost of energy sources like nuclear is much higher than intermittent energy, and even if energy storage costs get quite low, firm resources like nuclear can still lower the cost of decarbonization. They also show that keeping energy like nuclear makes the system more robust and protects it from the possibility that renewables won't keep getting cheaper, energy storage won't get cheap enough, and extended periods of time with low wind and solar output. Simulations predict that fossil fuels will replace more nuclear than low carbon energy would. So it's important to have a low carbon plan if we aren't going to support nuclear. Without a plan, we will have more emissions as fossil fuels produce much more carbon than nuclear. Such simulations predict that to achieve the same emission reductions without nuclear investments will be more expensive as huge investments would be needed in buying additional land. Solar and wind use far more land than nuclear. Grid upgrades, long tr transmission lines, the investments in building out wind and solar itself, and the need to maintain flexible power like batteries and gas plants. There is a special level of uncertainty because large electrical grids with very high levels of intermittent sources would be unprecedented. Long transmission lines have to overcome legal and public acceptance hurdles and are also a security threat as it's hard to protect such long lines. Solar is more problematic in the northern U.S. than the southwest. The southwest uses a lot of electricity for cooling in the summer, when there is also a lot of sun but the North needs electricity for heating in the winter when there is less sun. Getting energy from neighboring territories is limited by that some weather events affect large regions. While most simulations point out the risk of shooting for too much wind and solar without something like nuclear, academics have dueling simulations that have different assumptions. Others claim that with the correct assumptions, wind, solar, and energy storage is the cheapest path and nuclear is not needed. 
Some simulations show that places with abundant hydropower have less need for nuclear to achieve low-cost renewable power. Renewables reach a point where they already provide more than enough energy for the time that they are active, so they need storage to save it for later. But as we get more and more renewables, additional energy is needed for the longer stretches of low wind and solar. However, batteries don't store energy for that long. Other storage technologies can then be used, and operators will have to manage the right energy to the right storage system for short and long-term storage. Less of this would be needed if we had more nuclear. The technology on long-term storage isn't where it needs to be yet. Without nuclear, large amount of long-term storage is absolutely needed to maintain a low-carbon system. Simulations are important in determining which power source is best, but so is lived experience. The real examples show that when countries try to quickly remove nuclear, they get more carbon in the short run. That's A, because nuclear is low-carbon, and B, because the other power sources available that can serve a baseload or flexible role are dirty. Often coal or gas replace nuclear. This happened in Japan. After Fukushima, all nuclear reactors in Japan were shut down. This was 30% of the country's electricity. What happened? Carbon production in Japan went up. Four years after the Fukushima accident, the energy share of fossil fuels went from 62 to 88%. However, Eight years after the accident, Japan was back to lowering carbon due to efficiency gains and solar power. Similarly, when Germany decided to phase out nuclear due to fears from this Fukushima disaster, it wasn't prepared to replace that power with clean energy. It paired its renewables with coal, so greenhouse gases increased. Not only that, but its cost of energy increased. Moreover, the increased air pollution from unclean energy like coal resulted in 1,100 additional deaths. If Germany did what the UK did and focused on limiting carbon rather than just renewables, they would have had better outcomes, at least in the short run. The UK maintained energy diversity and this helped them lower emissions compared to Germany. So, if a country is ready to replace nuclear with low carbon energy, then shuttering nuclear won't be bad for climate change, but often nuclear is shut down in fear without planning and more carbon emissions are the result. This is especially true if the reason nuclear is closing is because cheap natural gas is outcompeting it. One reason natural gas outcompetes nuclear is because natural gas can produce greenhouse gases without paying the cost. With carbon appropriately taxed, nuclear could be competitive. So it'd be smart to keep these plants going unless they can be replaced by reliable and low-carbon alternatives. After the 1973 oil boycott, France built out nuclear to 75% of all their electricity. They want to pull back now out of fears driven by Fukushima, but France showed that nuclear can be a country's main energy source. And France's greenhouse gases were very low because of it. Comparing France to countries like Australia and Denmark that could have had similar greenhouse gases per capita, France is lower because the others used a mix of renewables and fossil fuels. Current U.S. nuclear plants are producing a huge amount of low-carbon energy. These plants already have their upfront capital costs paid. 
closing these without a viable and ready replacement would create a greater reliance on natural gas, and the world would get hotter as a result. Replacing 100 gigawatts of nuclear power with renewables will require 300 gigawatts of solar and wind plants integrated with hydro, natural gas, or sustenance storage. This is not going to be worth it when these nuclear plants are already built and working, and there simply isn't the low-carbon options ready to replace them. The newly coming online, wind and solar, needs to be replacing dirty coal, oil, and gas, not low-carbon nuclear. Germany did eventually build enough wind and solar to surpass the amount of nuclear they once had. So it is possible to replace nuclear with wind and solar, but it took time to get emissions back down, and they could have built all the wind and solar without shuttering the nuclear plants. If they still had nuclear, they wouldn't have needed so much coal to counter the variability, and therefore would have had even lower emissions. In August 2020, California suffered some brief blackouts. Extreme temperatures across the western United States, less output from renewable and fossil fuel power affected by the weather, and plants surprisingly going offline caused the problem. The weather not only caused increased demand through air conditioning, but produced less wind. So wind farms didn't produce their usual supply. Furthermore, drought reduced hydropower. California has a daily issue of all its solar going dark in the evening, a time when a lot of people are home using electricity. Their capacity had lowered due to less fossil fuel plants and the unnecessary closing of a nuclear plant in 2013. They had recently bought thousands of megawatts of batteries, but these weren't ready yet. California tried to rely on its neighbors for power, but the other regional states were facing the same weather and had no power to spare. Blackouts do happen under any power system, so this isn't some huge black mark on California and its push to renewables. But the blackouts did result from the difficulties of intermittent power, as the simulations and experts predicted with less nuclear and more renewables, California has even more intermittent issues, and when evening hits on high-demand nights, the flexible power sources need to be ready. Experts and simulations expected that sometimes weather patterns would affect whole regions, and therefore power from long transmission lines won't help. Shutting down nuclear means California needs more gas and storage to be prepared to overcome the setting sun and high demand. In August 2020, it didn't have the capacity it needed. An additional cause may be price. From 2011 to 2019, California's electricity prices rose six times more than the rest of the U.S. Transferring to renewables is expensive, and it's possible that a cost-conscious government didn't want to add even more costs by quickly adding more resiliency to the system. The increase in price relative to the U.S. mirrors the experience of Germany compared to France. Germany focused on relatively more renewables compared to France. Yes, nuclear straight cost is expensive, but it is stable and almost always on. Renewables have hidden expenses due to their intermittency. They're also less reliable, and if moving parts aren't planned well, blackouts result. Texas also gets a substantial amount of power from wind. On multiple days in August 2019, during peak demand due to summer heat, wind produced less than expected and natural gas, coal, and nuclear had to run high to just barely avoid blackouts. I believe the expense 
and risks of too much renewables without enough of something like nuclear was borne out in the above examples. Whether we are talking about intermittent renewables with energy storage, natural gas with carbon capture, or nuclear, all these technologies have problems. Each of them will hopefully get better. The safest way forward is a diversity of investment, so we are ready to expand whichever technology turns out the best. Nuclear is the most proven of the technologies in its current state. When carbon and nuclear's role as a reliable partner without need for a major grid upgrades and transmission lines are taken into account, maintaining a sizable percentage of electricity produced by fission makes a lot of sense. Nuclear's risks are well known and have been managed for many decades. One day, 100% renewable energy advocates may prove to the world that renewables and storage are both cheap and reliable. But until that day comes, it'd be foolish to risk throwing all our eggs in that basket. Especially when we know that if that doesn't pan out, people will fire up coal and gas plants to make up for it, spewing both greenhouse gases and air pollution. Unless a current nuclear plant is truly unsafe due to age and the cost of refurbishment is prohibitive, we must keep current nuclear plants going. Subsidies are more than justified because these plants aren't independent contributors to our electrical power. They are important team members helping intermittent renewables in their dark times and lowering overall costs. They also need credit for their low carbon compared to all but the greenest of energy. Considering the cost to designing and building a nuclear plant, it is maddening to see them shut down. We must keep working plants open. I go further. We need to build more nuclear and we need to build it now. Old plants can't last forever. And even with the huge upfront costs, nuclear makes sense. I'm not suggesting countries get a majority of their energy from nuclear like France did, but we need significant low carbon baseload to ensure the transition to low carbon power goes smoothly and as a safeguard against skyrocketing expenses. If 100% or near 100% intermittent renewables doesn't get the breakthroughs it needs to be financially viable. A technology neutral tax on carbon would be the ideal subsidy so that the free market could figure out the best source. But in its absence, direct subsidies to pay nuclear for its relatively low carbon makes sense. Because nuclear has a variety of risks for a potential investor, including a political risk, and because nuclear is needed, I believe this justifies government help in securing investments and even indirect funding for research and prototypes. The new generation of nuclear may have breakthroughs that make it the best technology. Don't let exaggerated risks sway you from nuclear. Don't let rosy imaginations about other technologies bias you either. In a real assessment that realizes the great challenges and potential costs that intermittent renewables and energy storage face, nuclear doesn't look so bad. Let's keep nuclear alive in case we need it to keep our lights on in dark and windless times in case we need it to keep the earth at a livable temperature, and in case it ends up being a needed teammate to keep the cost of energy at affordable levels. I'm Lone Candle. Like me, comment me, love me with all of your heart. Love me.
By that, I mean subscribe, click the bell, you know, watch me, and stuff like that. I don't literally mean you, do, you need to fall in love with me, okay? It's, it's, it's just a saying.